When I was first transitioning out of my fiat job into, say, Unchained, uh, the question I would ask myself is, if Bitcoin is money, what is the product of money? And the product of money is financial services. It's FTX, it's Celsius, it's, uh, it's uh, BlockFi. They're all trying to pretend as if Bitcoin is the same, and it's not. The ones doing it as if they were operating on a fiat standard, they're all going to get wrecked, and they do every single week, every single year. What does this look like if we try to take Bitcoin's native properties, right, and uh, and make sure that our customers are benefiting from that? From the perspective of the people that have dollars, think that you know uh, a home in Cincinnati is better collateral than Bitcoin. Try selling a home in Cincinnati, and then try selling you know three Bitcoin. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. All right, we are live here at the Bitcoin Commons in Austin with Will Cole. I realize I don't need my headphones on. <laughs> this is an in-person podcast. It's been a while. Yeah. Will, how's it going? Doing good. Welcome to Austin, Tristan. Thanks. Yeah, this is exciting. I've probably been overdue for a trip to the Commons yeah. a couple of years now. And it's First cool. impressions? It's awesome. Yeah, it's in a really, it looks like a historic district downtown mm -hmm. and I mean, yeah, I bumped into Andy Schoonover from Crowd Health, Parker. Like, yeah, I mean, these are yeah. it's cool to be surrounded by, I guess, the minds of the Bitcoin space all the time. Yeah, that's kind of the whole idea of the commons, right? Is just uh, get, all, get all the fellas together, uh, co-working. We do bit devs, awesome Bitcoin club. We got Marty's podcast studio right down there. It's, it's a good spot. When did this start? When did this come to be? So when Unchained was moving offices, we had a place down the street here, um, real small space, and we were hosting BitDevs. And during the pandemic, since we were the only people doing anything in person, because back then we thought COVID was fake, turned out it was not fake, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, uh, we were cramming 100 plus people in that tiny little place. And as Unchained started doing better, uh, we were looking for a new space, mainly for Unchained to do business. Um, and when, but in the back of our minds, it was like, if we could find the right spot to where we could still host bit devs. And when we found this building, it was way too much space for unchained just by itself. It's because this room here at the commons is, is massive. Um, but it was perfect. Like we could fit 180, 200 people in here if we needed to, that's what you need for uh, bull market, uh, bit devs. And, um, so it was really just about like making a case of like, well, we have to fund this space because Unchained can't just like buy this giant space by themselves. Um, so we got sponsors for the commons. We have co-working. We have, you know, podcasting. You know, we kind of turned it into a mini utopia for Bitcoiners. And Unchained is, a, is one of the main sponsors, but one of many. Yeah. That's cool. And I guess, yeah, that gets into kind of your backstory as well with, with Unchained and now at ZapRite. But maybe for that, you know, how long have you been in Austin? And yeah, how have you been here? Did you move here because of Bitcoin? I did not move here because of Bitcoin. Um, I, I, I was born here. Uh, so I grew up here. Um, I left for about 10, 10, 11 years uh, for college in Dallas and then uh, 
I started my career up in New York City. And then uh, when my wife and I decided that we, you know, that we knew we wanted to get married and have a family, we left New York City and we moved to Austin um, as just like uh, the main thing that drew me here was having grown up here, knowing it was a good place to raise family. Um, however, uh, you know, the Bitcoin stuff was, had already started up. You know, this is, you know, 2012, 13. Uh, I'd come visit and there were little Bitcoin things happening at the University of Texas. There was this weird group of libertarians, Michael Goldstein and Pierre Richard, and, uh, and you know, liked these guys a lot. And uh, so when I moved here, uh, while it wasn't for Bitcoin, it was one of the first things we did was to um, kind of reform the uh, Bitcoin meetups. Um, we, we, we broke off from the shit coiners and uh, started our own thing. We did our uh, bring your own steak dinners at my house. And then uh, Justin Moon started BitDevs. I think that would have been 2018 or 19, 2018, I think. And, uh, but that, that was when Austin started to take its shape as like, you know, the heart of Bitcoin country here in Texas. And did you, you were already into Bitcoin before you moved here, right? So you discovered it, I guess, when you're in New York City. Were you working in traditional finance? Because you're product development. Yeah, I did like software development stuff. Uh, I was, uh, I was actually doing a startup. And uh, when I learned about it, but that startup was failing. Um, and, um, and then I joined Stack Overflow. Um, and it was during that those first few months I was at Stack Overflow that I was like really starting to get Bitcoin. But yeah, I was in New York City. That's where Stack Overflow was based. Um, my brother had an apartment that overlooked the Fed. Um, and during QE in uh, 2010 or so, we'd see these big trucks pull up uh, to the Fed. And I'm sure it's just standard operating procedure, but they were shredding trucks and they just, there's six of them lined up there and they're just dumping documents in there. And we were just wondering like, what the hell is going on? What the fuck are these people doing? Like, and uh, it got us into gold. Uh, I was a gold bug for about six months uh, at the end of 2010. uh, met a bunch of people working on the Ron Paul campaign. They started talking about Bitcoin around April 2011s when it got on my radar. And uh, having been an established gold bug for about you know five six months, uh, I really understood money. At least I thought. And uh, yeah, it just started from there. That's incredible. What were those early days like here in Austin? Like just talking about Bitcoin with people because we're talking you know ten plus years ago now yeah. at this point, and it's it's really incredible and kind of just talk, talk pre-show about that journey. Like it must be incredible to see the progress. And now, you know, like you said, bit devs, you know, hundred plus people, you have this own space. I mean, it's exploding really. And, and Austin's up at the hub of that. Yeah. Austin's, you know, it, you know, the sort of foundation for Austin and Bitcoin in my mind is really those crazy libertarians at the university of Texas. It's, it's Michael Goldstein, Pierre Richard, the Nakamoto Institute, right? They were here, uh, uh, they were writing really crazy Austrian stuff that was blowing my mind. Um, and uh, they were a part of those early meetups. But uh, Austin was also the hotbed of, you know, shitcoining as well. Like as soon as there were Bitcoin meetups, there were shitcoiners. Uh, Factum was started here, uh, all the people associated with that. And so it was a, it was an interesting group of, of people. But, um, but again, uh, Austin also had a bunch of core developers that just happened to live here. 
found out later. Uh, Andrew Polstra was here and Brian Bishop and, you know, uh, people like that, Jimmy Song. Um, and we all found each other pretty quickly, right? Uh, by by 2014, we had sort of started that 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 Bitcoin, you know, maximalist group here in Austin. And um, and really Justin going, splitting off, not splitting off, but like starting BitDebs in addition to what we were already doing was a big moment, um, getting that hosted it unchained and then staying open during the pandemic, right? Like all that stuff was like building up, building up. And then we were the only game in town when COVID started because, um, well, Parker and I had been to BitBlock Boom in 2020 and uh, Gary kept his his conference open. And we just said to ourselves, I was, I was just getting back from Wyoming for the summer. And I was like, we got to do BitDebs. Called up Justin, he was in. And uh, by December, January, um, December 2020, January 2021, you know, people were flying in from all over. It was the only place to do anything in person to do with Bitcoin. And uh, I give a lot of credit to Gary for inspiring us, to Parker and Justin Moon for getting it in Unchained, for letting us, you know, host it. Um, that's when you started seeing the memes of uh, Austin being, you know, the Bitcoin capital of the world because it was the only place to go. Yeah, and I think it is. I mean, there's so many folks here. It, it's a hub for a lot of things, right? Like, that's why I'm here as well. I'll talk to folks in the health space and yeah. ancestral living. I mean, for beef and regenerative sure. ag. Meat mafia boys are yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's so many more, right? So it's really cool. It's a cool place. It's The community aspect, I think, is big. But I'm curious, yeah, as someone who's, you know, spent time in Wyoming, and we can talk a little bit about that. Sure. How do you, how do you envision, like, the unfolding? Because... I think with city living, there's there's a lot of challenges, and obviously you have this large, you know, left wing controlling influence probably for from people moving here, and you always have that in big cities. But it's still Texas; it's yeah. still like a lot of good things going on here. So I guess, yeah, how do you see it like long term, kind of from a community perspective, playing out? Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of work from the you know people that put on these things. You know, Justin Moon, Parker Lewis, these guys that put an incredible amount of effort into getting us all together in person. It's hard to have a really strong and big community if you're not in a city, yeah. right? Um, by definition, if you're, if you're out in the sticks, there's not going to be a lot of people, right? So um, one is, you know, we are in Texas. Texas is uh, not just a hotbed for Bitcoin mining, stuff like that. It's a hotbed for freedom. And um, while Austin, yes, is a liberal city, it's still Texas. Excuse me. And um, so, you know, take take that for what it is, is that, you know, there's a lot of land out west. You know, if people don't like living in Austin, the hill country is fantastic. <coughs> and um, I think that you can get the best of both worlds here. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think it attracts especially younger people that are trying to build a network. Um, yeah. And yeah, kind of have that community. I think it's really important. Do you envision yourself like, I guess we were talking a lot earlier about, you know, you wanting to spend more time in Wyoming. Like, what do you think the future looks like for you, your family, kind of still straddling both places or eventually? Yeah, we like living in both worlds, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of benefits for being in Texas, being in Austin. You know, Austin's not just, you know, when I say it's, it's a unique place in a lot of ways, right? Before Bitcoin or anything like that, this was the hotbed for homeschooling. It's got great private schools. 
oh, it's it's the things that are tangentially related to Bitcoin. Austin has always been strong in. Yeah, it's something I think about a lot. Just being in Wyoming and trying to like build a community, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, kind of gathering people, but the freedom of the state level is really important. And I, you know, people say that probably Wyoming, Texas, or you could say like top Bitcoin states, right? Sure. And something I'm curious to hear your opinion about there. Obviously, you know, um, close to to Cynthia and just this whole like you know, higher level policy and things like that, working for the companies in Bitcoin is, do you see kind of a transition where states either like they embrace Bitcoin, um, they embrace kind of freedom uh, or they don't. And then there's just this polarity between states just continues to increase, um, you know, kind of that the states become more decentralized by embracing uh, a freedom technology. Sure. I hope so. Right. I mean, like, uh, I've said this before, I think all Bitcoin maximalists should be 10th Amendment maximalists, right? In that the states have a big role to play. Wyoming has, you know, did and is continuing to take the lead from like a legislative standpoint, from like a jurisdiction certainty standpoint. So um, there was uh, Tyler Lindholm, one of the, uh, legis- uh, he was a state legislator at the time, started the blockchain task force. Um I served on that in 2019, yeah, 2019, along with other like citizens, non-legislators like Caitlin Long, and we just passed a bunch of bills that were basically trying to bring certainty to industry that wanted to work there, right, or developers that wanted to contribute to the core protocol and be safe in that jurisdiction and uh, immune from some of the nasty things that have been threatened in other jurisdictions towards them. And so... That was kind of step one, and that's very, very important. And a lot of states have started to copy Wyoming's laws on on this. Um, however, step number two is industry, right? You, they do this because they want jobs and people and industry to move to the state. You know, um, they want to attract us uh, to be there. And Wyoming has so many things working for it, just like Texas does. Um, you know, it's a red state. Uh, it's open for business. It's very business friendly. Um, they produce an enormous amount of power there. They have a lot of natural resources there, whether it's oil and gas or coal, um, which means that like for the mining industry, it's 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 a attractive place. It's not on the same scale as Texas when it comes to that. But on the power production side, surprisingly, it is. You know, Wyoming, I think, is the third largest power producing state in the United States next to Texas and California. Uh, I believe it's I'm going to be wrong on this, but it's in the it's in the range of uh, like 20 gigawatts or so. Now, all of that power, pretty much 90% of it is exported. You know, that's powering Denver yeah. and that's powering Salt Lake and out west and everything like that. But I think it has eight or nine gigawatts just of coal power being generated there. Um, now, transmitting that power is super expensive and, you know, all that type of stuff. But consuming it in the state should be a priority, Right. The people that produce power, yeah, you make money doing that, but it's really the people that are consuming the power. That's where, you know, uh, where economic uh, prosperity comes from. And so uh, what I'm seeing in a small dose right now, what I want to see more of, hopefully, and I'm going to work on this in Wyoming in particular, is that we need to suck up and use that power in the state. Um, And all the ingredients are basically there to do this, which is good. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, 
it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And it's something that I think is there. It is ripe for the taking, but I haven't really seen a ton of, yeah, like companies or businesses move in. And yeah. you now we got Kaylin Long and Custodia, but mm-hmm. there's not a ton else from, from what I see. I mean, you know, there's some small mining projects ongoing. Yeah. But it, it would be Mostly great. straight of gas type stuff yep. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, it would be great to see more. And this is not an advertisement to move to Wyoming, but, you know, kind of. It's a great state. We'll take a few right? people. We'll take yeah. we'll take sovereign individuals for sure. So that's the the right people, right? And um, what kind of laws or legislation? I didn't really get into it too much with sure. Caitlin. Um, we mostly talked about custodian hunting, actually. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of legislation did you guys pass? Because people always say, you know, Wyoming's so friendly for legislation. Like, what actually was passed there? Or what did you influence that? you think is actually a, a difference maker for companies or for just Bitcoin holders in general? Well, I'll preface this with saying that like someone like Caitlin did way more than I did yeah. and Tyler Lindholm and those guys. I was there. My role was basically to call bullshit on all the shit coiners who came to testify and uh, fill, fill us with their lies and their decentralized identity schemes and all these uh, crazy things. An important role. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and back then, honestly, Trace Mayer was doing that as well. I know he's persona non grata, but he did a great job in Wyoming. Um, uh, and uh, he played that role as well, testifying publicly, uh, focusing things on what actually matters. I would say I'll, I'll take a, a, a couple things. Um, so why Custodia uh, is in Wyoming is um, something called the SPDI, the Special Purpose Depository Institution. It, is, it was a corporate formation that uh, was created where Caitlin and, and, and uh, Tyler were super influential in setting this up, which is essentially a financial institution. It's a bank uh, uh, that is recognized on both the state and federal level that's a non-lending institution, right? And so it's not governed by the FDIC because it doesn't lend, right? But it can do all the other things that a bank can do, right? And there's a lot of benefits to being a bank uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a company formation. And uh, Wyoming invented it. In, in fact, Wyoming invented LLCs uh, as well. Um, but not only did, you know, with the LLCs, Wyoming, you know, that was back in the 70s, uh, Wyoming had a problem, which is like everyone knows LLCs in Delaware now because that's where they're all registered because they have a chancery court set up. You know, all the rule of law is built around Delaware law around uh, around these types of corporate formations. This time when we set up these SPDIs, these non-lending bank institutions, they can do custody and all these other things with uh, Bitcoin, stable coins, anything else, is that we also you know, funded like the, the chancery court system and things like that. Like we're trying to build case law in Wyoming so that Wyoming is the place that you would want to domicile and, uh, uh, and have your business. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, while all this is supposed to be good for Bitcoin, right. Um, uh, it's also supposed to be good for Wyoming. Like it, it wants economic prosperity. And when they have the feds, coming down on them and saying, you know, no more coal mining on federal leases and stuff like that, you know, that puts a big dent in what pays for the public services and things like that in Wyoming. So it needs people and industry to move there. And that's in legislation like that are, are, are one of the ways that we're hoping to bring um, 
businesses to Wyoming. Now, I will say that Custodia, uh, in particular, is in a fight with the feds right now, with the Fed right now, because they are not uh, issuing what's basically colloquially called uh, a Fed card to these SPDIs. They are required to do so, but they are not doing it right now. So I think once some of that gets ironed out and, uh, you know, bless Caitlin for fighting the good fight there, um, that you'll see more people uh, doing that. Yeah, and that that's a good trend. I'm excited, and I definitely I definitely want to talk to Caitlin again next year. Yeah. We we had her on earlier, so we'll have to link that podcast. It was a really good one, and uh, yeah, it's it's again paving the way, right? I think you gotta someone has to lead by example. So it's cool sure. that you guys, Caitlin, Tyler, kind of really put that pedal to the metal in Wyoming, yeah. especially. And I'm super psyched about it. But again, yeah, I would love to see more Bitcoin businesses and things like that, but it's easy to get eager and impatient in the Bitcoin space, right? Sure. So something, and this is a great transition to your journey as well from just like working at Unchained, now focusing on payments at, at ZapRite. And maybe we could get into that, but a high level first question is, yeah, what sort of, you know, what Bitcoin companies do we need at a high level? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there, there's a there's a lot, right? And so if you're talking about like, the the really tight circle around bitcoin um when i was first transitioning out of my fiat job into say unchained uh the question i would ask myself is if bitcoin is money what is the product of money and the product of money is financial services right so uh bitcoin it it invalidates and sort of wrecks not banks but a bank the central bank the fed you know uh, that that's what Bitcoin wrecks, but like banking services, right. Um, can exist on a Bitcoin standard. They will exist. They do exist right now. Do they look the same as the businesses, the banks in the fiat world? It's like, no. And the closer they look to the fiat world, the more likely there's a problem. So an example of that, when I started it Unchained, we had a lot of pressure externally to look like BlockFi because we did lending. We had a, we had a loan book. We can't look like BlockFi because we don't rehypothecate collateral. We keep collateral in a, in a collaborative custody wallet where we have a key, a third party has a key, and the borrower has a key. If we and then we promise them we're not going to rehypothecate, meaning take that collateral and lend it out over and over again to make more yield. Um, we don't do that, right? And our customers, our our borrowers, can confirm that we're not doing it because they have a key to that to that vault. Right. You take a look at BlockFi, like they're lending Bitcoin in the same way that you would lend other securities or, or, or deposits, right? From uh from a bank. We know that that can't work on a Bitcoin standard because there are no bailouts, there are no bail-ins, right? If you take risk with Bitcoin and it disappears, it's gone for good. There's no FDIC insurance, there's nothing of the sort. So what what type of companies are going to you know sprout up around this is like yeah financial services and banking is going to be a thing but it's going to necessarily look a lot different than the standard ones what are the other services that banks do well they do custody they do lending they do trade execution they do all these types of things right all those things will exist but the ones doing it as if they were operating on a fiat standard they're all going to get wrecked and they do every single week every single year it's FTX, it's Celsius, it's FT, uh, it's uh, BlockFi. They're all trying to pretend as if Bitcoin is the same 
and it's not. Um, the Unchains of the World, I think, have the right idea. You know, that was that was the goal. Is that like, what does this look like if we try to take Bitcoin's native properties, right, and uh, and make sure that our customers are benefiting from that? Well, custody looks a lot different because the bank, us, we have no control over the funds. You do give up privacy, right? But the customer is is sovereign over those funds. If we got a subpoena from the U.S. government that said freeze this person's funds, we literally could not do that, right? We could do other, you know, we could do other things, you know, uh, with a legal subpoena, but we couldn't, we couldn't move the funds, we couldn't freeze the funds because we don't have control over the funds. That's taking Bitcoin's native properties and building, you know, uh, a a financial service solution around it, right? And there's going to be lots of things like that. You know, you have the guys at Anchor Watch doing, you know, uh, doing insurance uh, in a Bitcoin native way. Um, you have other custody providers, Casa, things like that, doing it in a Bitcoin native way. And I think that, you know, just like we see these with, with uh, banks, there's going to be hundreds and thousands of these types of institutions, right? And um, it'll just look different. Yeah, this is always an interesting discussion because, you know, the hardcore Bitcoiners, like, you know, they they would say a lot of them that you don't need, you know, custody for, you know, someone to have custody over your Bitcoin or partial custody, I guess. Or, sure. You know, they're they're hardcore. And then there's a debate over the 303 multi-sig and, and privacy. Of course, KYC is a big topic. Yep. But I think it's right. I think Marty has talked about this many times. Yeah. If no, there's wanted, trade-offs to all of this, yeah. right? Like. That's what's great about Bitcoin is you don't need a custodian to help you on any of this stuff. There are certain considerations where I would even encourage some of these. I mean, I am a hardcore Bitcoiner, so like I, I am one, so I, so I know how they think. Um, you know, uh, is that yeah? If you have non KYC Bitcoin, it's like don't send it to a KYC custodian. Yeah. Okay. Now, what are the drawbacks of that? Well, inheritance of that Bitcoin is going to be a bitch. It's going to be difficult to deal with both in terms of like the physical passing on to whoever your beneficiaries are and the legal structure around it. Right. Um, look, I'm not trying to go to jail or anything here, you know, uh, but like also I'm not, you know, yeah, I'm not trying to say that one size fits all. Like it's that for some of the Bitcoin that you have, a collaborative custody arrangement might make a lot of sense for some of the Bitcoin you have, maybe, you know, doing rolling your own multi-sig is much, much better. Right. I think that's great. Um, if you want to get liquidity for your Bitcoin without selling it, some of that Bitcoin, maybe you should get a, a loan from Unchained, right? If you don't want to do that, don't do it, right? Uh, I think it's pretty simple in, in those terms. But again, like you have that sort of self-sovereign cypherpunk, you know, uh, angle and that's available to anyone. It, 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 the learning curve might be a little bit steeper, but even that, the user experience is coming down and down. Places like Nunchuck and stuff like that, it's fantastic. It's great. But again, there are certain things that are going to be very difficult to do. Buying Bitcoin, right? Just buying it, right? You know, I, I was in New York City. I bought some Bitcoin enough, someone in Washington Square Park handing them cash. But, you know, it's not such a great way to do it. So sometimes you have to go through certain certain rails, right? Um, so it's, I'm not trying to say that all businesses will look like that, but I do think that you'll see like this banking financial services, uh, world grow up around Bitcoin that looks familiar, but is necessarily different. And then you'll have the cypherpunk world, you know, offering 
operating in parallel with that. But then the other types of businesses, right, that aren't necessarily financial service businesses, right, the mining companies, the energy producers, um, you know, Marty and I just talk about this um, driving back and forth from Houston is, you know, what's going to happen first? You know, do the Bitcoin miners become energy producers or do the energy producers become Bitcoin miners? Right. And I think he said that a lot, but um, it's certainly easier for the energy producers to become Bitcoin miners. Right. They have power plants. Right. Um, the, those are hard things to get, hard assets to build, hard assets to buy. But. The Bitcoin miners are doing pretty well, especially right now, right? They're going to buy these things, right? They're going to buy power plants. They're going to produce energy and they're going to play the ancillary services and demand response games on the grids and stuff like that to earn cash. And then they're going to consume a lot of that energy on site, no transmission, mining Bitcoin. All this is going to happen, right? It is happening right now. So yeah, financial services, mining companies, insurance companies, you know, it's all the same stuff. It's just a little bit, they're going to have to do it in a different way. Real estate, you know, I'll tell you this much, they're not going to be building 70 story buildings in Austin. There's too much risk on that on a Bitcoin standard. They have to build nice, beautiful architecture like the building we're in right now. If you're a health conscious food consumer, who's also very active, you know how big of a struggle it is to find a bar that is both convenient and nutrient dense. That's why I was so excited when I discovered the Alpa bar. The Alpa Bar is a meat-based bar that contains only simple ingredients, 100% grass-fed beef, tallow, and honey, and is both nutrient-dense and convenient and packs a caloric punch of over 300 calories. For me, this was a game-changer and is now the go-to snack and fuel source I use when I'm hiking, camping, hunting, skiing, or doing anything in the outdoors and I don't have the resources to cook a full meal. The Alpa Bar is made proudly in Colorado and only uses locally sourced meat. JJ and Rob are also extremely based and accept Bitcoin for payment. I highly recommend you check out the Alpa Bar for any time you need a nutrient-dense and convenient snack on the go. Check them out at eatalpa.com and use code DRADIO5 at checkout to get a 5% discount. And if you pay in Bitcoin, you can get an additional discount on top of that. That's eataupa.com and use code DRADIO5 at checkout. Yeah, yeah. Well, commercial real estate is is not doing too hot right now either. No. So that's, I mean, I'm excited about that paradigm really when you can let kind of the creativity and what actually makes sense when the uh, incentives are aligned and the money is right. But I want to get in, I think exactly what you said about the financial services yeah. is, is it's spot on because- you want to give people the option and they can always choose to do, you know, privacy, self-custody. And like you said, go that route. But we talked, I talked to Matt from Atomic Finance and they're, yep. they're building out their own, you know, DLC using DLCs, um, getting some yield. Very interesting. Self-custody. Yeah. It's cool. It's very and, exciting. You know, it's, there's, there's products that people just want to have. Mm-hmm. And especially if we want to get more and more people on board. You know, they're going to want something equivalent to whatever they have in the fiat world. And it's just going to make it easy or, you know, somewhat not equivalent exactly, but similar. I think instead of equivalent, think familiar. Yeah. Right. Because user experience really does matter. Right. In software and and, 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 and all this stuff. Right. And it's that like I like to think of things as like, how can I make this look familiar to someone, even though it's very, very different underneath the hood. Right. So, you know, that could be something as trivial as setting up a wallet 
or it could be, you know, uh, sending a transaction. It's like if someone's used to, you know, paying with their credit cards, well, now we have tap signers. You know, if someone's used to sending ACHs and wires, it's like we can adjust how we're sending Bitcoin transactions to look familiar, even though under the hood, everything's very, very different. I don't think that that's wrong at all. Take the things that work and don't take the things that don't. Yeah. And, and obviously you and Parker were at Unchained and did really well for a few years. I think the ser- financial services space is, is going to continue to grow. I think it's in a good space, but I mean, yeah, where do you assess it at like currently and think it's going to be at in five to 10 years, the, the whole, I guess, industry of financial services? I think it's matured a lot very quickly. So in 2019, when I joined Unchained, um, multi-sig, you know, if you weren't a core developer or someone who had been around for a long time, you didn't know what it was and you certainly didn't do it. Um, there was a point in late 2020, early 2021 where that seemed to change, right? Uh, Unchained and Casa were leading the way on this um, from like a company standpoint, but there were also great open source things happening at the same time. And um, it became something where I think that people were very intimidated by it or didn't understand it at all and uh, came to be sort of normalized and suggested and promoted by Bitcoin influencers and things like that, that, that like, yeah, it turns out just having your stuff on a single SIG, you know, hardware wallet, Trezor, coal car, whatever, maybe not the best idea. Maybe you should look into this multi-SIG thing. And then these companies making it easier and easier and easier every single month to do so, I think uh, played a big role in that. So where do I see this going? Is it like, the custody side has matured a lot. Um, the lending side, not as much, um, mostly because it's hard to source dollars, right? Um, with inflation and, and rates the way they are, it's like, you know, you're forced to offer a loan at 15%. A lot of people don't want that. I get it. But like, whoever's lending you the dollars has to get it from somewhere. And so, like, the source of dollars for Bitcoin collateralized loans is been kind of retarded recently. Um, I mean that in both senses of the word, uh, uh, but eventually I think and the volatility of Bitcoin. I mean, it makes it doesn't matter. No, nah, it's easy. Uh, you know, we, we uh, we've been lending it unchained since 2017. We've gone through every single crash you can imagine, right? From 20,000 to 3,500, from 60,000 to 16,000. It's like, yeah, you deal with liquidations and things like that, but you're not losing any money. You know, like like on behalf of of people that are lending out dollars like the volatility is not really an issue it's an issue for a borrower to like that's what that was i was gonna yeah. say i think from the user side of things it yeah yeah like it can be scary but like to... you know i always talk to people you know i never took out a, a bitcoin loan don't want to don't need to you know my whole theory on this is you know you know dollars aren't that hard to get i hear they're making more of them you know uh so i'll go get them somewhere else yeah. right uh but for some people i get it it's a it's a you know, if you're Bitcoin rich and cash poor, like these can be godsends. You can buy a house, you can start a business, you can pay your bills, you can do things with this, right? And uh, long-term bets of uh, of Bitcoin's appreciation, probably not the worst idea. You know, I've been tempted before, but you know, I just haven't done it, right? Um, what I think that, you know, you know so w- when I talk to people that, that, that take out these loans, you know, it's like, way over collateralized like embarrassingly over collateralized right or keep a lot of dry powder around to meet margin calls and things like that because yeah 50 percent drops happen right and you need to be willing to you know people that want to day trade and and leverage buy and and play on the edge 
you know, God bless you, but like I would, yeah, good luck is the right, is the right response there. Right. It's like, I'm not interested in those games and I'm not interested in advising people on those games, but just needing cash. Look, I mean, the the world runs on it right now. It's like, I get it. I think what's actually going to change there is that Bitcoin collateralized loans are mispriced. They're mispriced from the perspective of the people that have dollars, uh, think that, you know, uh, a home in Cincinnati is better collateral than Bitcoin. Try selling a home in Cincinnati and then try selling, you know, three Bitcoin. It's a big difference. Bitcoin's a lot more liquid. It's a lot easier. It's a much safer asset. It's way better collateral collateral than any house in any anywhere. Right. And yet the dollars that are that are that are flowing in are much more expensive. I just think it's a mispriced thing and it'll, it'll change over time. Yeah, the market will eventually correct yeah. itself. Yeah, it's basically, you know, there is risk. Nothing, there's nothing without risk, right? But that risk right now, I would say, uh, is, uh, you know, two, three X uh, uh, better than, say, like a mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm i excited to see how that goes. And yeah, it is very tempting, especially when you when you just see all the forces behind the Bitcoin momentum right now. Yeah. And at, yeah, it's just ripping by the day currently. But it's interesting to see your perspective on all this because you basically, you and Parker were a big part of this maturation of the financial services industry. And then you guys decided to go to ZapRite. Yeah. Did you realize that payments were a big gap to fill in terms of Bitcoin adoption or walk me through maybe that inflection point? Sure, sure. How you guys decided to to go that route or why? Yeah, I mean, when we left Unchained, it was really, you know, we're, we knew we wanted to work together and we were just thinking about like, obviously it's going to be in Bitcoin. It, where, where can we add value, right? Um, there was something to the story though uh, of thinking about like, well, you know, custody, there was a reason we worked on custody to start with, with Unchained was that we had to get that right first. If Bitcoin can't be safe at rest, then nothing else really matters, right? And so adding to that story with a lot of other companies and a lot of other products, like we felt like the custody story was, it will, it will continue to get better, but it was pretty good. Pretty much anyone, especially in the United States, that wants to custody their own Bitcoin, use collaborative custody, you know, they, they have very good options, right? And if that is true, then what's kind of the next step? And we looked at it and saying, you know, like, well, you know, there's acquiring Bitcoin or getting Bitcoin or earning Bitcoin. Like, how do I get Bitcoin? Well, I pretty much just have to buy it on an exchange right now. What about earning it? Well, the first question is, if you're going to earn Bitcoin is, where does it go and how do I keep it safe? Check. That's solved. Unchained, Casa, any place, you know, cold card nunchuck uh you know all these great options it's like okay all right well then what what are the mechanisms in which i earn this bitcoin like how do i get it how does it actually work so we looked around at the products out there open node and bc pay server and all these things played with all of them great products right but i like what i call like in-between products so unchained was very much an in-between product where on one extreme you have you know keep things at gemini or coinbase or ftx right not great on the other end sorry over here is you know roll everything yourself right sometimes i i do that personally for some bitcoin but not for all of it 
Unchain was kind of in, in the middle thing, saying like, well, we can give you some of the benefits of Bitcoin, like sovereignty, right? Which I think is the most important one, censorship resistance. Um, you're going to lose some of it, privacy, right? Unchain's going to know your balance, things like that. So there were gives and takes. When I looked at the payments world, I saw on one end over here, open node, BitPay, that type of thing, right? Actually great products, right? However, when I analyze those products, I think of them more as exchanges, right? Their main thing is saying like Bitcoin accepted here, but actually I want dollars. So like taking the Bitcoin, exchange it for dollars, spit out dollars on the other end. And that's not that, that's not what I want personally. I look at the other end, BTC pay server, fabulous project, right? Fab fabulous product. However, again, there are certain trade-offs I wanted to make. It's like, well, I like that, but I don't want to run a server. The server's overhead for, for the little things I want to do. For a lot of people, it's perfect for what they do. Awesome. What I wanted was just that, like, I have a wallet. I like my wallet. I like my multiple custody setups, right? And if I'm going to put up a web store, I would just want the Bitcoin to go to that wallet. That's it, right? Pretty simple idea. And we looked around and we couldn't find anybody doing anything like that. And then... um we remembered Zaprite, uh, John McGill's company. And it was uh, not doing like e-commerce type stuff, but it was doing invoicing, business invoicing. And there was one page in particular that caught our eye, which was he has a connections page where it's like add in your Bitcoin wallet or add in your strike or, you know, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, and I was just like, oh, this is it. This is the whole back end for like the e-commerce stuff we want to do. I wonder if he's thinking about that as well. So instead of just starting another company, Parker and I wouldn't talk to John. We're like, hey, we've been thinking about this. And he's like, I've been thinking about that too. <laughs> right. And uh, we're like, well, why don't we kind of join forces instead of just, you know, not necessarily competition's not bad or anything, but like if we have the same vision for this, like, you know, uh, we should do this together. And the whole concept there is kind of this in between business where all we're doing is building, we're like a dumb pipe. We build, um, interfaces, whether that be invoicing or e-commerce between your wallet, the merchant, and your customer's wallet, the buyer. We don't touch any Bitcoin. There's no transaction fees. We don't. There's no custody changing hands. It just goes from your customer's wallet to your wallet. That's it. And that's all I wanted. And it didn't exist, so we, we built it. Yeah, I mean, the more I, I'm actually like launching businesses and looking into accepting Bitcoin for payment, well, first off, let me start by I've accepted Bitcoin for my book and sure. I've sold Bison for Bitcoin. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a challenge, mm -hmm. but it's also, yeah, the payment side of things can can be a little difficult. With, yeah. Uh, you know, it, even if you're just using Lightning or the BTC pay server I looked into and I was like, oh, wow, that's like a lot going on there. Uh, so I totally agree. I think it's the way you laid that out makes total sense because yeah. these in-between products that are really offering a lot of sovereignty but it's not the hardcore DIY stuff Yeah, is really, it's, it's probably the bulk, you know, the bulk of people are in the middle, right? Yeah. Um, I think or, there's markets on, on, on through the whole spectrum, right? Uh, you know, open nodes, not going to lose customers to us and BTC pay servers, definitely not going to lose customers to us because people that want to do that need to do that. Right. And we're not trying to take anyone from there. Right. But again, for me or you, it's like, you know, I might have a use for BTC pay server in the future, you know, but right now, I, it's just overhead, right? And so I just wanted this simple thing, right? And we're, again, what's the trade-off? It's like, well, I'm not running my own server. There's a trade-off in that, right? However, 
I am getting these other things I'm not getting on the other end with OpenNode, which is like, I have my own wallet. I can audit all this stuff myself. That, that That's really, really nice. And I don't have to change a lot because I just I just drop an XPub in or I drop my Strike account in or soon we'll have River and stuff like that. Like there'll be custodial, non-custodial. Think of us as wallet agnostic. We don't care, right? We don't care if you're custodial, non-custodial, Lightning or on-chain. We just want you to accept Bitcoin, right? On your own terms, Right. And some people that onboard in a custodial way, you know, using Strike or River or something like that, they'll move over to their single SIG or multi-SIG. We have Unchained, you know, for instance, you can drop in your wallet configuration and it'll go straight to your cold storage vault. That's pretty fucking cool, right? Now, what you were talking about, like simplicity, though, is I think about it on two layers. One is, is yes, if you want people to accept Bitcoin, it has to be at least as easy as accepting dollars, Right. So what do you do to accept dollars right now? You set up a Venmo or you set up a Stripe or you set up a Cash App or you know something like that. This episode is brought to you by Wyoming Based, my new apparel company that is focused on providing high quality natural fiber based products using 100% US supply chains. Our first two products, the 100% wool everyday beanie and 100% wool rib sweater are proudly made right here in Wyoming using local wool. The wool is low itch, high quality and durable, naturally antimicrobial, and way better for your health and the health of the planet. If you want to support a local U.S. brand and are tired of supporting woke outdoors companies that shill plastics, check us out at wyomingbase.com and pre-order your sweater and beanie today. It's not too difficult, right? QR code or username. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes 10 minutes or whatever to get all the accounts set up and everything like that. So we want to make that the equivalent on ZapRite. So it has to be at least as good there. It can't be worse or else people won't do it. And then there's the payment side of like, what does it actually mean to pay in Bitcoin? Now, we have some control over that and how we build our our workflows for e-commerce and invoice payments. And then like the wallets themselves have to do their jobs. But like, if it's less friction to pay with Bitcoin than it is to pay with fiat, then we're going to win not just on the Bitcoin terms, we're going to win on usability terms. And I think it's very important for anyone building software around Bitcoin that you win on both fronts, right? And so right now, when I look at ZapRite, is like a lot of people, you can set up fiat options on ZapRite. You can take dollars along with your Bitcoin. We think that's still important for a lot of merchants. Not everyone, but some people... Like, guys, we need some dollars, <laughs> you know, like, uh, okay, fine. So you can set up a Stripe or you can do ACH transfers and we'll have things like Cash App and Venmo here soon, is that uh, we have a direct comparison now, which is like, okay, I have dollars in my, uh, you know, I have a credit card for Stripe payments, right? And I have a Bitcoin wallet, right? Which one's easier? And right now I can tell you straight up, it is way easier to pay a lightning payment on ZapRite than it is to put in your credit card information. It's just better. So on the usability front, we're already getting ahead, right? And on the merchant front, we're pretty close at this point. Like, it's probably, it's a dead heat. I'll put it that way. Um, but uh, once we get both of those, then I think that the adoption curve will change quite a bit. So I've used ZapRite to pay um, my podcast editor. Okay. Um, so I paid invoices, but I'm curious from the e-commerce perspective, like how how would you go about easily setting up that integration on maybe any website? Yeah. You know, say Shopify store. Like sure. Whatever. 
Yeah. So in its current state, we have a thing called payment links. Uh, if you've used Stripe, you're familiar with the idea. Uh, you can basically set up a little store on ZapRite right now. They're dead simple, right? They're bare bones. It's single SKU, single product. I'm selling a book. Okay. Create that, put a picture next to it, uh, a uh, description of the product. You price it. Um, then you go through and you hook up your wallet, basically saying, you know, you can pay me on Lightning and on chain and with dollars via Stripe. And then you just have this nice little page called a payment link, which is, you know, basically something you can put out publicly saying, like, this is my product. This is what I'm selling. I'm selling these hats or this books or, you know, whatever. But that's not a serious store. And ZapRite's not going to build serious stores. We're going to integrate with Shopify and WooCommerce. So the WooCommerce one should be out in about two weeks, right? That was the first uh, big integration we're doing. Uh, Shopify is a little bit more difficult. You know, if WooCommerce is Android, Shopify is Apple. It's a little bit more closed down. It's a little bit harder to, to get through their app store, you know, sort of uh, good graces. But, you know, we can obviously do it and we will. And so that'll be early next year. And so that means that if you have, you know, a store on Shopify or a store on WooCommerce, you'll just be able to download the the plugin, the ZapRite plugin, and you're off to the races, right? Now, I'll point out that like, you know, ZapRite, you know, we'll build little things like payment links to get people onboarded and started, but like, we're not interested in building the templates. You know, we're not interested in building uh, a Shopify, you know, clone or something like that. Those are really big businesses and they're focused on how to convert users through checkouts and they're focused on how to, you know, have beautiful, you know, landing pages and all that stuff. It's like, we're just focused on Bitcoin payments. That's we want to be the best at that, right? And we'll integrate where you are. Now, we're at the early days of that, but like, you know, by mid next year, we'll have, you know, all the biggest platforms there. And so be, be rare that you have a store somewhere that we couldn't integrate with. Do you need those integrations to do that? Or could you do it a manual way before, say, the Shopify plugin is available? You could do it in a manual way. You could, we, we have these little embed things for like the embed buttons. A link. Yeah. Yep. You can embed a button or something like that. I just did it. I, I just started a blog. I started writing about software development and Bitcoin. And I have a little tip button at the bottom that's a ZapRite link that says tip me in Bitcoin. You hit it and it goes to a payment link where you go to ZapRite and you can pay. Like So there's 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 workarounds for that for sure right now. Um, or if you're Jimmy and he does a lot of point of sale stuff, like ZapRite's not the, the point. We haven't done point of sale yet, but he has printed out these QR codes that lead to payment links. It's actually, it's actually uh, sorry, I'm saying Jimmy Song, uh, who um, has a new book out right now. Uh, Fiat ruins everything. Uh, he's been using ZapRite to process payments for for his book, and um, so you can do little point of sale hacks and stuff like that right now. I'm just saying, like, sort of the native integrations where if you have, you know, if you have a big professional store in Shopify, there's a lot of things Shopify can do for you that makes that store work, right? And convert, and they have all these tools. We're just gonna go to them, right? That that's what we're gonna do, and until then try us out with some of the other things. The business invoicing is a very robust product. Like you can't really do what we do anywhere else. Like use that, try a couple of your products on the payment links and stuff like that. And then we'll get to you. That makes sense. I guess with the manual link, would there be a way to have that confirmation like routed by like, say you're saying selling a digital product. <laughs> that's what's like, tough. Yeah. The access yeah. that's because I'm actually launching a website. We are going to do so that I'm by the way. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking like, Oh, I could embed a link. Um, and then they could pay it, but I was like, how would they 
the how do we do a fulfillment of this digital? Yeah, well, content. how would the website know that then then they've paid? Yeah, it? that's what's nice about doing the native integrations. Yeah, is yeah. That, like if you're that's just all, if you're just that feedback loop is there, right? Yeah, if you're plugging in some some HTML or something like that, like you you don't get the feedback loop. So like we need to do the native integrations. We are going to do them. But even to your point, like uh, on a payment link, fulfilling digital content, you know, and like gatekeeping it until, you know, you know, something's paid and then being able to display it, that'll actually be there pretty soon. We're, we're working on that right now. That's awesome. Wow. I'm so excited because it, it does make it a lot easier. And yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I got a few things that I'm launching that I want to accept Bitcoin for payment for because, yeah, it, it opens up this whole new market, right? If, sure. If you're that, whatever space you're in, if, if you're accepting Bitcoin for payment, you're opening up yourself to a whole community that's pretty, I would say the, I'm curious to get your feedback is on how willing Bitcoiners are to spend their sats because I see this slow increase and in the past couple of years, definitely more of an increase in terms of people willing to pay for things with Bitcoin. I hate paying for things with Bitcoin, which is ironic since, you know, we're doing ZapRite. The point is, is that it's not really up to us, right? It's the people that make things. They get to decide how they get paid, right? If you have a store, if you're selling bison, if you're selling art, if you're doing whatever, you can be paid in Bitcoin, right? You just have to demand it, right? So I like to think of it as like Bitcoin preferred versus Bitcoin accepted, right? Is that if I'm signaling to you that I want Bitcoin, maybe I won't even have a fiat option or maybe the fiat option is 20% more expensive, right? And then me as a payer, I have to decide whether or not you know, I'm going to take that 20% hit or if I'm going to pay with Bitcoin. Most of the times I'll pay with Bitcoin, right? So, like, I don't mean to be flippant about this. Like, I understand why people don't want to spend their Bitcoin. I don't either, right? But it's coming for you, right? If Bitcoin's money, you're going to spend money, right? Um, and it's not a chicken or the egg thing, right? So this is a dual-sided marketplace. You have a merchant, someone selling something, and someone buying something. There's a lot of other dual-sided or uh, two-sided markets right dating you have a woman and you have a man or job oh, i don't know about that everywhere today that's a big question uh, we're not going to get into that right you got a woman and a man uh <laughs> or you have like a job board you have an employer and a job seeker right these dual-sided markets dating is very obvious right like what drives people to dating apps hot girls Right. There's one side of the market that matters and another side of the market that matters, but doesn't matter as much. Right. If you have hot girls, then people are going to men will show up on the job side. If you have great jobs. Right. You know, the people are going to show up. So in dual sided markets, you always have to prioritize one side of it. We've prioritized merchants. Right. Saying that, like, in this chicken or the egg problem, how do we solve for it? Right. Are people going to really spend their Bitcoin? It's like, no, no it's just like. People are going to want Bitcoin for the same reasons that they buy it, right? They're going to make a, they've made a balance sheet decision in their personal life, right? Um, saying, I want Bitcoin. Well, why pay the exchange fees and all that stuff over here when I can just sell my work, my time, my art, my whatever, and just get Bitcoin on a direct basis, right? That's a much more, you know, uh, seamless way uh to fulfill the balance sheet decision I've made for myself. Now I'm saying that as if I'm a independent proprietor, you know, that I this is a closely held business, you know, type of thing. I do think this is that's where this starts, right? A lot of our clients are dentists, you know, that own their own practice or lawyers that own their own practice and they get to invoice their 
customers in Bitcoin if they want, right? Uh, one of the tenants that came on, on board and started doing this, I got a message from one of their clients just being like, holy crap, I just paid for my dental stuff in Bitcoin. It was so much cheaper to do it that way. And that's because the dentist decided to show his preference. He's like, I want Bitcoin. All right, so that starts at closely held businesses, right? Those smaller businesses become bigger businesses over time. Um, those people go work at bigger businesses. Like, it, you know, it all happens, but it starts with pay me in Bitcoin. That's how it starts. I think it's brilliant. And it's something I'm eager to do because, you know, I've yeah. sold books and bison for Bitcoin. And, you know, some of the bison I saw, it's like I made a good chunk of, of Bitcoin. And I'm like, yeah, I want to do more of this. Like, yeah. I want to accept it and, you know, provide people a discount, incentivize them. Cause like you said, people aren't going to like want to stray away. Well, some, there's more and more people who are like happy to pay with Bitcoin because I think they know that it's like supporting the community of like-minded individuals, but it has to be a good product. Like yeah, the it, value has you to You can't be rely on altruism. No, you can't. Yeah. But that's why the discount or the uh, markup for fiat, yeah. as Parker likes to say, I guess, yes. is uh, is really just such an easy way. So I'm I'm excited to- Yeah, I mean, like, look, you know, if, if, if the thing you want will only take Bitcoin, right? Or, or will take Bitcoin with a punishment for fiat, it's like, well, you'll, you'll start spending Bitcoin. And that's a good thing overall, right? Bitcoin is money and we want to see these things, but it's also an individual thing, right? Is that you hear people talking about circular economies and stuff like that. All we're talking about is a series of individual decisions, right? And those indi individual decisions compound over time. And it starts out where the Cole family, we've been on a Bitcoin standard for years. You know, if I owe my brother money or my dad owes me money or something like that, we, we just settle up in Bitcoin. It's the way we've always done it. Right, always done it. So we've done it for the past seven years or so, right? So I've operated on a Bitcoin standard with my family. We pay each other that way. But like that's an individual decision that then is extended to some of my friends, right? Where I owe them for fantasy football or something like that. And they say, hey, don't send me dollars, send me Bitcoin, right? All these individual decisions start making. Now, to me, it looks like I live in this little bubble of a circle, circular economy, but it's been in the works for seven years, right? All these individual decisions started compounding on each other. So with ZapRite, what we're betting on is that a lot more people have already made that individual decision and just haven't enacted it yet or will be making that decision soon. And we're going to build tooling around it to make it easy for you to make that decision. Because it's not just about accepting Bitcoin as, a, as the merchant. Is that if I have obligations in Bitcoin, say I'm getting invoiced over here by one of my suppliers saying like, I'll give you a 20% discount to pay in Bitcoin, right? Because that person's made their individual decision. Now it makes a lot more sense for me to start taking some Bitcoin so I can pay my supplier in that instead of going and buying it somewhere else, right? All these individual decisions, again, compounding on each other, that's what builds a circular economy. It doesn't just pop into existence. And it's not something that you just sort of wait to happen. You see it happen slowly but surely with all those decisions being made by individuals. Yeah, and... Yeah, gradually, then suddenly, right? Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. How does ZapRite make money? Or did you just take a one percent of? No, we don't do any transaction or... fees. We uh, it didn't feel right for us. Sorry, I cut you off. There. No, you're yeah. fine. Because I was um, gonna say, I think Stripe is like two percent or something on credit cards. Yeah, yeah, and then the credit card fee itself from the you know it adds up you know four percent or so. Um, no, so we price ourselves like SaaS software. So. Uh, we are not a payment processor. Again, there's no custody. Stripe takes custody of the dollars and then they pay you out the dollars. Since we're not really processing transactions, it felt weird to charge a processing fee. What we're, what we're doing is we're providing you software. And so we charge a, 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 like a SaaS company would, which is 
roughly, I think it's the 25 bucks a month or, okay. or 240 bucks a year. Um, you can pay in Bitcoin or in dollars. Uh, you can pay, we're about to put in our, uh, our uh, penalty for paying in dollars. We haven't done it yet just because we have one grandfather, some of our monthly payers and give them, you know, time to understand that we're going to start punishing them uh, for paying us with dollars because we would prefer the Bitcoin. But um, yeah, we, we charge this monthly or yearly subscription to use the software and then you can do your invoicing and your payment links um, and in the future, your uh, integrations at, at will. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense too. I kind of like that better um, mm-hmm. as well. I think it's better probably from the merchant perspective also. Um, I hope so. Probably. I mean, if you're actually selling things of value um, or you're running a lot of volume. but Well, you know what you're paying for, right? Yeah. Is you're just paying to use our software and we build software and then we sell you the software, right? Um, we're not trying to take a, a cut of your business necessarily. You know, these, these transaction fees, um, you know, it's really funny. I, I didn't... I've never been that close to like the finance world. I've always been building the software, but you know, in any place. So like, you know, whether it was stack or fuller on chain, I never really saw the money coming in when people paid with credit cards, but at ZapRite, I do see it. Right. Cause it's just a few of us there. And I'm like, well, what the hell? These guys are paying us $25 a month, but we only got 23 bucks. Like, yeah, I, I've never seen, I I've always of course known these processing fees are there. But I've never just seen it hit a bank account. And it pissed me off. It's pretty bad. Like yeah. it's really bad. I just kind of discovered this, kind of thought more about it as you know, building out more e-commerce or membership type things. And yeah, something we talked about earlier though is merchants can be hesitant to, I guess, accept Bitcoin for payment. I, I'm going through this right now with my business partner because sure. we want to accept Bitcoin. I really want to accept Bitcoin, but when you have like a really serious business. Um, people get concerned about taxes of, sure. of things. So we <laughs> talked about this earlier a bit, but maybe you could walk through how that works in re- you know taxes for a business, for a merchant and reporting it. Based on what you said earlier, if yeah. you just keep it in Bitcoin, all you have to do is report it as income and then that's it. And Zapparite helps with that in an easy yeah. way. Yeah, so I'll, I'll preface this with I'm not an accountant or a tax lawyer or anything like that. Uh, uh, consult uh, Satoshi Pacchioli if you uh, want the the real deal. And you should interview him, actually. He's great on this stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, if you're accepting Bitcoin as payment, right? Like you do have like, just like accepting anything as payment and you have an obligation or you may have the obligation depending on what jurisdiction you're in. But if you're in Austin, Texas, you certainly have an obligation to report that income and pay taxes on it. But again, if you made this balance sheet decision, Holding that over years, there's no tax consequences or anything like that. If you have to sell it to get liquidity because you have obligations in dollars, yes, they're they're sorry. Sometimes there is a tax consequence. If the Bitcoin has appreciated in dollar terms during that time, you now have a capital gain, right? If the Bitcoin has stayed the same, you don't, right? And you're fine. Or if it has gone down in value, you now have a capital loss, which you can then, you know, uh, right off towards future capital gains for your business or individually. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are tax consequences, but it's not that complicated. And what Zapphrite does for you basically is that if you take in Bitcoin, um, we'll give you like a CSV download, right? That basically has every information about every transaction that you could ever want, including the accounting uh, information that you need on the currency. Like what was the precise, you know, 
cost of this item in Bitcoin at the time? What was the value of Bitcoin at the time? What was the exchange rate, you know, uh, at that time? So you have all the information you need. You can plug that into any competent, you know, uh, accounting software and figure out what your taxes are owed, or you can give it to someone like Satoshi Bakioli and they'll figure it out for you. That's really cool. So it's more so on the merchant side of things than where. Well, no, be. the merchant side of things is really easy. Yeah. Now on the or sorry, the payment on the on the, the buy. Yeah, yeah. The, the merchant side is not that yeah. that big of a deal. Now on the payment side, yeah, there's 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 other things there, right? And so you know, there's some things on the federal level that that are being worked on uh, to have like a de minimis exception. You know, say six hundred dollars or below. Like there's no tax event. And like just you know, paying this as. One of the things that Cynthia Lummis's bill is focused on, um, we'll see how that goes. It's not law today, um, but yeah, when you pay with Bitcoin, you may you may or may not be incurring a capital gain or a capital loss at that time. So you should talk to your tax consultant about that. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I think yeah. it's good. Well, that that's really it's great feedback for, for yeah. me personally, and uh, I'm just excited to see how it all grows because it seems like ZapRite's going to make it a lot easier for people to accept oh, payments. Yeah. And then again, if the Bitcoiners oh, are running businesses and or just anyone um, gives the customer that hard decision that maybe they'll consider mm-hmm. buying Bitcoin as well. And obviously another bull market will accelerate that. So yeah, where do you, you think uh, the daily use of Bitcoin is just really going to grow quite a bit from, from here on out? It has to. Um, you know, Look, you know, Bitcoin store of value story is, is, I think, very well known, understood, and obvious at this point. You know, we've been banging that drum for a long time. It's not going to change. It's never going to change. Um, that's the whole point of it. That's why store of value story is so strong is that it can't change. Okay. But Bitcoin is still money and you can do other things with money. So yeah, of course I see this changing. Now, the timing of it is very important, right? I do think that the you know the timing right now for a company like Zaprite, yeah, we'll see it grow. Is it as big as it's going to be in ten years? Like, no, of course not. Like these things happen very gradually, right? But I see a lot of those individual decisions being made, right? Uh, Bitcoiners have companies and they want more Bitcoin, right? We're we're, we're going to help them get it, and uh, yeah, it's happening right now. There's tens of thousands of people that want that, if not hundreds of thousands, and pretty soon there will be millions. Uh, when I say pretty soon, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. It could be next year. It could be two years after that, just like with collaborative custody and multisig, right? When we launched the product, no one wanted it, right? And then a year and a half later, and I didn't know it was going to be a year and a half later, everyone wanted it, right? And so with this type of thing, I think it, you know, I'm pretty good at timing these things, even though I don't have a crystal ball. It's like, I'm pretty sure within a year and a half, everyone's going to want this. Yeah, because everyone's going to want Bitcoin in a year and a half because it might yeah. be two hundred thousand dollars at this rate. Who knows? That yeah, price is irrelevant specifically, but it's something that's been such a strong criticism of Bitcoin. You know, people like Nick Carter, whoever, and you know, the USDC is used like a ton in, in other countries, and <laughs> it makes sense. And the circumstances are different than here, but. I think it's just a matter of time with the right products and services to allow that sure. monetary exchange, the circular economy to actually grow. Yeah. Again, it's it's a gradual process of individual decisions. You'd have to be pretty blind not to see these individual decisions being made. Like, open your fucking eyes. You know, 
I would say to any critics on this, and I know a lot of critics on this, a lot of Bitcoiners um, uh, that think this way, is that like, first of all, it doesn't matter, right? Don't spend your Bitcoin. I don't, I don't care, right? I see a lot of people willing to do it, and I see a lot of people that want it, right? And so I'm going to build products for them. Um, and uh, uh, I think that uh, even those people on a long enough time scale would admit you know, with uh, what's going on with Lightning and eCash and things like that, that like Bitcoin is going to be transacted. Um, they might disagree with that short, or maybe they don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a mind reader. <laughs> but uh, the type of uh, the type of criticisms I've read, I found to be entirely unconvincing, um, based off of the very real evidence I have of launching Zapperite. So you have the invoices nailed down. You get the e-commerce kind of next year. Where, where does ZapRite go from there? Well, you know, the e-commerce story has a long way to go, right? It's not just these integrations with the big, um, with the big company, uh, with the big uh, online stores and stuff like that. There's ticketing systems and there's uh, meetup systems and there's, you know, uh, there's all sorts of like payment systems outside of just storefronts that we want to get to, Right. It'll take time to do all those, but there's very obvious, you know, peer-to-peer applications here of just like, how do I send you Bitcoin right now without an invoice in between? How do I just zap you money? A lot of that's happening on Nostra right now. You could see uh, a wallet, a sort of network of wallets that we're setting up of just my wallet and your wallet and like, oh, I don't have to send you an invoice. I can just type in your name. You know, there's peer-to-peer implications in all this as well. So there's a lot of things we can do with this sort of idea that all we're trying to do is connect your wallet to someone else's wallet. The conditions in which we do it right now are for business invoicing and for e-commerce. But any other reason that you would send someone else money, we can conceivably do. Is that where the name ZapRite, is that like the same Zap? Is that what started that or is this completely different from John? uh, John named it um, and he named it uh well prior to zaps on nostr yes yeah that's so. what i figured because that's relatively new I'm yeah nostr should like past year yeah past zaps are years. probably february march of this year uh, is when zaps sort of because it's like most people are getting on to nostr and christmas last year so about a year ago so yeah it's within this year that zaps that terminology really took hold that's Kind of a funny coincidence then. It yeah. Might, might align really Hey, well. it's great. Yeah. Have I you like used it. Noster? Um, at yeah. All? yeah. Yeah. I have a very old InPub. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to, you know, try to. I go in these ways. I'm going to hipster you here, yeah. which is like, yeah, I got like an August of last year InPub. <laughs> Justin Moon told me about it. Um, I didn't start using it until December, right? Uh, along with a lot of people, I was on the, I started using it for real on the Domus uh, test flight uh, stuff right around Christmas and uh, I've used Domus and Primal and all sorts of stuff. I think it's great. Unlike my business partner, I'm uh, bullish on Noster. Really? Oh, yeah. he's not. Hates it. I think it's, I joined the first Sorry. time. In... I meant, I meant uh, Parker, not John. Yeah. I yeah. That's I, I meant, uh, I joined like Feb or January last year or this year Yeah. Um, with Ben Justman convinced me to get on there. Oh, but then that's great. I got on there. I was like, this isn't really that great. I'm experienced. I couldn't upload pictures, blah, blah, blah. And then I went back on a few, you know, maybe late summer this year and it was a lot better. And then I started using it, but it comes and goes in waves for me. It's just, I'm, I'm trying to minimize social media use. That's so like just another platform. It's well, that's... a challenge. And I'm not trying to just do like copy and paste. Like, yeah. hey, everything I post on Twitter, I'm just going to post here. 
but I'm going to get back into it. And yeah, I think it's great. I, I interviewed uh, McShane, yeah. who does a lot of the Nostra stuff. And yeah, I, I also didn't realize until I talked to him just how it can be a platform for so many things, like marketplaces and then yeah. e-commerce. On and that's what I'm interested in. That would like be what the really mutiny cool. guys sitting right here next to us are doing on Nostra with uh, like subscription payments and things like that. That's super interesting. Social media, again, it's like, it's good for some things and Nostra can do it. And that's the, like the first iteration or the first uh, popular use of Nostra, but it's not the only thing that can be built there. Th- there is in the name other stuff, right? Than just notes, right? And um, what the Muni guys are doing, I think is very credible and interesting in terms of like oh, a way to use Nostra with Bitcoin payments. Um, and that's uh, not just zapping people's profiles and stuff like that. Um, the social media stuff is interesting, but unlike you, it's like, I'm not really looking to do more social media necessarily. Right. Um, although I do appreciate what they're building in that it is a, to my mind, a credible censorship resistant way to build social media, which I think we do need, um, and is important, even though it's not like the main thing I want in the world. Yeah, no, totally. So, so they're building. Maybe I'll we'll have to go talk to them after this. Yeah, go um, talk to them right after this. Yeah, it's like subscription payment, like for maybe a membership or anything. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, they're doing it over Nostra. In fact, I, I've been promised a demo because I don't know exactly how it works yet. But um, you know, Tony and and all these guys, Ben and and them, they uh, they get they get some cool stuff they're cooking up there. Yeah, it's cool because yeah. We, I uh, just launched some group coaching in terms of the health, um, decentralized health community. And it's like you're looking at these platforms and school and Patreon or Facebook groups or mm-hmm. you, know, you could use Telegram. But then, it's, yeah, it's I was like Nostra would be perfect for this. Yeah, imagine. Not, same with just podcasts. Are you like, familiar with uh, Defense Distributed, uh, Cody Wilson's? Uh, uh, I've heard of Cody Wilson. He's but, based here in Austin. Okay. And Defense Distributed, they made the Ghost Gunner. Um and uh, they tried to finance it, uh, the the original one through Patreon, yeah. And Patreon shut them off, right? Yeah. They censored. Oh, that's right. He's the gun guy. Yeah, yeah, gun guy. Yeah, right. My friend told me about that. And so they thought about. I think they launched something called Hatreon, yeah, which was you know for all the hateful people out there. Um, but something like that, yes, could be built on Noster and not be subject to the same types of censorship that happens on Patreon. I think Patreon's fine, but like if you're doing, you know. You know, it's gun. You know, it's pornography, guns. It could be selling MAGA hats or something like that. It's like perfectly legal things to do that they don't allow. That's their right, but it's also our right to build, you know, uh, marketplaces that can't be censored in that way. And I think those are very important to build. And they also take a huge chunk, and then you got Stripe on top of that too. Sure. Yeah. 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 Then you got the fees and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If you're taking Lightning, it's like looks a lot better you know it's not fee list but it's not that i'm really excited about that and then the podcasting <laughs> kind of just live streaming because obviously sure i mean god the conversations i've had today um probably will get taken down or potentially flagged on youtube and you know some of the podcasting apps are okay but yeah sure. Noster, I, i'm really excited i i don't want to like spend a ton of time there right now but i'm, I'm trying to like check in and, and see how things are going because yeah i think really it's cool. worth keeping tabs on right like uh i'll compare it to like you know when i learned about bitcoin in 2011 you know some people might say well, why don't you have you know two hundred thousand bitcoin you know it's like well you know it wasn't necessarily a credible bet at that time i knew i knew what it promised for the most part 
But like credibility is earned over time. And the Bitcoin protocol earned that credibility through many, many almost disasters, right? Uh, how do I know that the 21 million limit is unchangeable, right? Well, I know it now through understanding how Bitcoin is hard forked and seeing the different attacks on it and seeing Litecoin get, get created, which is just Bitcoin with more coins, basically, and then splinter off and then seeing that the core protocol promise of, t of the 21 million limit is very credible and worth building on top of and worth accepting and saving it and all those things. But that wasn't necessarily true in 2011, right? Um, it wasn't necessarily true in 2013 either, right? It built up over time and I feel very secure in um, the idea that that's a credible claim, right? With Noster, I'm not so sure yet, right? I know what some of the claims are around decentralization. I have some questions about how relays work and stuff like that, but it'll earn credibility over time. It's worth looking at. It's worth playing with stuff like that. I'm not sure I would build anything super serious on it yet, but, um, you know, you know, three months, three years, I don't know. Right. But at some point something might click and it might be worth it to me. I think it's spot on. It's just, it's good to be like kind of getting your nose into some of these new, really disruptive technologies, but you have to realize, yeah, just how kind of young they are. And yeah. that's something with Bitcoin in general. I think everyone, we can lose our low time preference mindset quickly. Um, even though that's, <laughs> one of the foundational principles of Bitcoin and decentralization. So I want to ask you quickly, as someone yeah. who's been in the space for so long, what, how do you see this kind of play out over the coming decades? It, obviously, <laughs> gradually then suddenly. I mean, I've talked to Matt Hill, who's like, this is going to take, you know, multiple generations. And Marty's obviously, everyone's optimistic, but sure. it's just going to take a lot of time. So I'm always curious to get everyone's opinion on this, especially long-term Bitcoiners. Yeah, uh, I mean the 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 short answer is I don't know. Yeah. Um, the longer answer is well, um, it depends on your measurement of success of what Bitcoin succeeding looks like in my lifetime. You know, in the next ten years, I know the value of Bitcoin is going to be off the fucking charts, right? Like I I I have no doubt in that. In terms of Bitcoin's utility as money, um, there are a lot of factors at play, right? what we're doing at ZapRite is one of those things, right? Of making it easier, but on both sides of the equation to accept and spend in Bitcoin, making that, I'm pretty sure that's going to be over the next few years, that's going to pop quite a bit, right? The political uh, ramifications like, you know, legal tender, uh, taxes, you know, stuff like that. I anticipate it to be a really bumpy ride, right? There are going to be some places that get it right. And so if you're in that place, it's going to, going to feel great and there are going to be other places where it doesn't um but what i do feel confident in is you know from the bitcoin standard that Safedine wrote or from shelling out that nick zabo wrote like we know what happens over the medium term when hard money meets soft money right and that uh whether that is you know englishmen coming to the new world and you know inflating wampum or the Yap Islands, or sorry, the the yeah the Yap Islands with the rice stones is that um, there's no escaping it, right? Is that uh, when gold infiltrated any of these other cultures, 
that uh, had softer money that they didn't know was soft money necessarily, right? Until gold came into the equation is uh, it devastates that economy and gold wins out. Bitcoin will do the same, right? But uh, it'll take longer in certain areas, right? So if I can try to wrap up that thought is that, um, yeah, I think over the next few years, it's going to be way easier to use Bitcoin as money. Their jurisdiction rules around whether you can do that or not are going to vary based on where you're at in the world. But eventually, I, I, I don't think there's any escaping it. Maybe, and I, I think most of that will happen in my lifetime. Yeah. Most, yeah. Mostly. I think that's a good perspective. I always like to hear people kind of phrase that in a way that makes sense to them because it's helpful for the audience to sure. understand. And hopefully we get some new Bitcoiners from every show we do with the Bitcoiners. Yeah, yeah. Our show is probably 70% health related, but... Um, if there was one Bitcoin company that could be created when you snap your fingers that was working on a specific problem, maybe it's complementary to ZapRite that could really improve Bitcoin adoption or Bitcoin as being used as money, mm-hmm. what do you think that would be or what would you like to see? Well, uh, you know, if I could snap my fingers, it'd be ZapRite right now, but it takes hard work. Um, the other thing I would say... Uh, I'd like uh, Bitcoin miners to buy every single coal plant in the United States. I think that'd be very good for the United States, for Bitcoin, for uh, decentralization, and um, yeah, long long coal. Um, and let's use it where it's best served in Bitcoin. Basically, just taking advantage of the energy we already have available to us locally. Yeah, local, cheap energy, right? It's good for everyone and coal's good for everyone. And, uh, I don't see a lot of, uh, you know, two gigawatt nuclear plants being built anywhere anytime soon because that's state owned technology. So coal's the answer. Build new coal plants, uh, buy existing coal plants. Don't let them be shut down. Use them to mine Bitcoin. It's good for everyone. Yeah. I think Wyoming's a a good example of that as well. Very much so. Maybe I should interview some some people in that industry, and it would be good to talk to. But... I'll take. I've I've uh, visited almost every coal plant in Wyoming, so I can I can. Uh, there we go. Help you out. Need to do another Wyoming road trip, and uh, yeah, 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 connect with you in the summer. So I'm just so yeah, I'm really excited to see how it plays out on the state level because I do feel like I said in the beginning, if the states kind of embrace Bitcoin and lead the way, I think they're just gonna put themselves head and toes above. The Absolutely. Rest. Tenth Amendment maximalist, right? Uh, it's good to live in the United States. This is a great place, right? We have the Tenth Amendment and we have states' rights, and states have sovereignty, right? States need to learn to flex their sovereign muscles, right? Wyoming does it in a lot of ways. Texas does it in a lot of ways. A lot of places don't, but they're going to have to compete with each other. That's another great thing about the United States is that states do compete. Texas has been kicking California's ass, right? bringing their businesses over, bringing their high net worth individuals over, their earners over, their talent over. And that's a that's a concerted effort, right? There's a plan in the state, in the governor's office, to win these battles, right? They are out-competing California on a sovereign level, right? States are going to realize that there's a Bitcoin strategy for doing this, right? That there's industry to be built, there are jobs to be created, there's commerce to be had, um, by having a superior Bitcoin strategy than other states. It will happen, and, and states do this already on other levels. So, yeah, look out for that. 
It's going to be fun. Well, Will, thank you so much yeah, um, thanks. for all your work um, that you've done and the work you're going to be doing because I will be utilizing this for sure. Where can people use, find ZapRite and download it, sign up for it? And where yeah. can people find out more about what you uh, are working on and I guess what you're now writing about? Yeah. So first, ZapRite.com. Uh, just go there, 30-day free trial. Uh, if you have something to sell, if you have business invoices to send out, try it out. Uh, 30 days for free. Uh, I'm at Will Cole on Twitter. Um, I use it with some frequency. Um, I'm also Will Cole on Noster, but I can't rattle off my NPUB here. That's a little bit hard. Another problem to solve. And then uh, uh, as of today, I've been doing some longer form writing uh, on the tools of ignorance.xyz. Um, so the tools of ignorance is where I'm going to be talking about software development and uh, Bitcoin. Is that just like your own website or is that? A yeah, blog? yeah. Okay. I have a ghost blog. Blog. Okay. Yeah, set up on ghost. What was the motivation to do that? Uh, several actually, but uh, the two the two main ones, uh, one I was inspired. I've been sitting next to Parker here watching him write his book, right? And I loved the Gradually and Suddenly series and uh, I thought it was so great. And then watching him produce the book. Uh, made me realize that like, and just talking to him about it, like he kind of inspired me to share some of the things that I'm good at. I'm not good at macro analysis and all that stuff that he's good at, but I'm good at software development. And uh, the other is just this realization that like uh, a lot of the people that I learned from in the early 2000s, uh, Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood and Jeff Patton and Ryan Singer, you know, they've kind of moved on. And I thought that they had really good ideas and I bind a lot of those things to form my own ideas on how to build software you know and uh it's a unique take uh i've employed it at stack overflow and unchained and now at ZapRite. and the people i work with seem to like the way i do it and so i want to start sharing that with uh with people uh because it's been 18 years of learning and uh, i'm ready to show everyone what i learned well, I'm excited to dive in. I definitely will learn a thing or two because I don't have that expertise. So it's exciting. Yeah. Writing's fun. I mean, you learn a lot and you get better. The only yeah. way to get better at writing is to uh, write. Uh, yeah. Funny enough. So good on you. I'm excited for that. Excited to connect in Wyoming maybe next time in person. That'll be a lot of fun. Sounds good. We'll get some raw milk in uh, Star Valley. Great oh, spot. Yeah. Shumway Farms. Best raw milk I've ever had. Ski uh, the Tetons on yeah, one yeah. side and then maybe hit some hot springs as well. The, Absolutely. What, what more can you ask for? All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on and thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Decentralized Radio. See you next time. <laughs>